Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, hello. This is episode number five of your favorite new podcast, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I am one of your hosts, Marcus in the Darkest, alongside... I'm Ray Coob. How you doing today? We've got a fun episode for you. If you love rock and roll, if you love family trees of rock and roll, we've got one of the great ones for you. Yeah, this branch could actually be a big tree in itself. It's such a huge, fat branch. It is amazing when you think about what has come from the Yardbirds. The Yardbirds. In the beginning, there was the Yardbirds. Actually, before the Yardbirds, it came together. A bunch of the guys that were would become the Yardbirds, Jim Carty and Keith Ralph and everybody, they had met each other, and they were uh, you know, they're performing at art school things and all that, and uh, they kind of formed an ad hoc group, and they caught the attention of Cyril Davies. One of the uh, godfathers. Is he also considered one of the godfathers of the British invasion? Well, I guess you could say that. He led to um, a lot of things happening, that, and you'll see why as we move forward. His presence and his activities led to so much being facilitated, along with the great Alexis Corner, whose name comes up often in Stone's lore. They started doing skiffle. We talked about that in episode two a little bit. They were doing skiffle and playing blues. They opened clubs. Davies started as a banjo player and played some 12-string guitar before becoming a Chicago-style blues harmonica player after he heard Great Little Walter. So, connection. Chicago influences Davy to take up the heart. And that starts the blues invasion of America into the UK right there. That's just crazy. Now, so they got these clubs, right? They had England's firstest and bestest skiffle club. Is that a weird name or what? Skiffle is such a weird name. But well, that was awesome. a, that was a club that was an R&B club. And then later uh, was also known as the London Blues and Barrel House Club. There were some guys who would come in and jam. And that included, you know, the, uh, the young members of the Yardbirds, and uh, they would have um, some guests come by, some of the young bucks that uh, wanted to see the show, maybe take a turn on stage. Some guys named Charlie Watts, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker, Long John Baldry, Dick Hextall-Smith, Danny Thompson, Graham Bond, they would all come around and hang around, and they became the basis for Davies and Corners Blues Incorporated. Now, you're looking before the Yardbirds. These guys were all playing in this ad hoc unit. 
Blues Incorporated. It's just such a crazy lineup. And the fact that they had all these kids at the same time going to art school the way they did together. All these guys were all related through art schools. We didn't have the art schools the way they did over there where they pushed the art and the music and these types of things. And to hear how this British invasion came about based on the blues and the soul and the gospel of American music and the jazz of American music and the hillbilly of American music and the rockabilly of American music is just, it's crazy to wrap your head around it. And the fact that these kids all went to school together, some of them ended up being studio musicians when they were noticed. Some of them just ended up being mates with one dude and they ended up, hey, let's form a band. And that's kind of how things fell together for a lot of people. It was the guys you knew and then maybe somebody left and people came and went and people came and went and Blues Incorporated too. You look at the whole picture, though, and you see those names, Watts and Bruce and Baker, and they're all, you know what bands they were all mm-hmm. in, right? Of course, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker, who were in Blues Incorporated together, they would go on with Clapton, who would leave the Yardbirds, yep. to form Cream. There's your connection. Now, say you got Clapton, you got Paul Samuel Smith, Keith yeah. Ralph, and you got Chris Drasia and Jim McCarty. Now, Clapton Lee, and he goes off and forms Creams with those. And then you, you got to look at Jack Bruce and his solo outings, how far out he reached post-Cream. He had records where he had Billy Cobham on drums. He had Robin Trower on guitar on some of his solo work. David Sanchez from the E Street Band on keyboard. So you're seeing connections to the Yardbirds family tree, you know, down the line quite a bit. Now, the other unit besides the uh, Blues Incorporated that really made an impact is a little unit called the Graham Bond Organization. Again, group that fell out of the Yardbirds family tree, out of this thing with the corner and Davies, is the Graham Bond Organization. You got Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce, who were in Blues Incorporated, along with Dick Hextall-Smith, and a young guitar god, and this blew my fucking mind when I saw this. John Mahivishnu McLaughlin was the guitar player in the Graham Bond Organization. What? I, I couldn't believe it. And I, so I went and I looked and I checked to make sure it was like the same John McLaughlin. No way. You know? Yeah, and he would go on to form Mahavishnu Orchestra and play with all the people he's played through the years with Santana and everybody else. But that's where he got his start. So some of these guys came out of Blues Incorporated and obviously Mahavishnu didn't. And the Graham Bond Organization was uh, like a, a key point because it led to Baker and Bruce staying together, playing together, and then later forming Cream with Clap. And that's just crazy. Cream didn't last very long. Is is that because Eric Clapton wanted to continually be challenged musically? Because he seemed to, he left in the four-year love time of the Yardbirds because he felt they were becoming too poppy. And too commercial. Too commercial at that time. And he didn't want any part of that. And he ended up forming Cream. And then Cream did a little bit. And then he did Blind Faith. And then he did uh, Derek and the Dominoes. And he did his solo work. So well, we are getting ahead of I know, but, it's, but it seems that with the, this little bit of stuff, he... He was restless. He was restless. I, I think he, fe- he needed new challenges. I think he had different ideas, so he wanted to pursue those. So that's why I think they were so short-lived. And then and a perfect example is one of the things he jumps right into is uh, fresh out of traffic. He gets together uh, with Steve Winwood, and, of course, he was in Spencer Davis' group, another guy who connects back to Davis and Corner, and Rick Gresh, who is in Family, and Ginger Baker, and they do Blind Faith, and they're a they're really one of the first super groups. I mean, he came from Cream, the, I think the first super group, into, into <laughs> Blind Faith, another super group. <laughs> Sub super group. It, it's a, uh, it, 
it, it burnt fast and faded, and they did one record, and that was it. Great album, by the way. Now, jump back to those shows at the old uh, London Blues and Barrel House Club, and there's Davies and Corner leading the kids through everything, and here's some of the other people who were sitting in the front row. You know, I mentioned that Charlie Watts, who ended up in Blues Incorporated. Mick Taylor, who ended up playing with John Mayle. He was one of John Mayle's early guitar players. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Ron Wood, who also has connections to Jeff Beck, obviously, and uh, Danny Thompson, who would later go on to be uh, not only in the Grand Bond organization, but in Pentangle. What happens here, what starts to happen later, Pentangle is the first mention of a, of a progressive band. The seeds of the Yardbirds also help to start a whole new wave of progressive stuff, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that as we go down the line. So right in the middle of it, you got Cream. And I want to jump over for one second and then come back because I want to talk about the three guitar gods that are the main branches, the big old branch of the Yardbirds family tree. They call them God. The London do. Subways, Eric Clapton, and like you pointed out, they got to Four Year Love. He left the day they released it. And uh, they brought in this kid, Jeff Beck. Stud. Totally different style than uh, Eric Clapton. A blue-collar kid, wore dirty boots, dirty jeans. Just got up there and kicked fucking ass when he played. No messing around. Just fucking crushed it. And what yep. I was reading in a great article, there's a three-part article in Forbes magazine. Jim McCarty sits down and talks about it. And he said that Jeff Beck was the type of guy who would get up early in the morning and play guitar. It was almost like he slept with the guitar, woke up and played it as soon as he woke up. I just saw... Uh, a recent special about him and his music and it was it was really I can't, can't remember the name off because I just watched it yesterday or the day before my brain works that way <laughs> I think he still sleeps with the guitar I wouldn't be surprised no he is just somebody who plays We'll jump back to Clapton in a second, but look at what that era. Everybody, the press, they pilloried is that's it. It's the end for the Yardbirds, and they get this, who's this Jeff Beck guy, and then Heart Full of Soul, and Evil Hearted You, and their version of uh, I'm a Man. They get a hit with with, with an old Bo Diddley song, Shape yeah. of Things, mm-hmm. Over Under, Sideways Down. So things were going pretty well. Then <laughs> Paul Samuel Smith quits abruptly. He's going to become a record producer. Well, you know, I'm sure there was a couple of people say, well, he's going to see how that goes. He's probably full flat on his face. He'll be yeah. right back. Well, he would go on to produce Cat Stevens. Records no by, slouch. Records by Jethro Tull. No slouch. Carly Simon. Whoa. Produced music for movies, including Harold and Maude. He actually That produced, is a great movie. He produced the movie itself as well as did all the music. What? But are you ready for this? Yes. In a swift change of fortunes, after Keith Ralph and Jim Carty fold tents on the Yardbirds, they form the first lineup of Renaissance. Paul Samuel Smith is their producer. Oh. This is the Yardbirds family tree episode of the Imbalance <laughs> History of Rock and Roll, episode number five. And you see, we're already getting a little twisted in this. I mean, think about it. I And what I have been reading and what uh, Jim talked about in the Forbes interview is that originally they asked Jimmy Page to replace Eric Clapton, and Jimmy was like, nah, I think I'm going to chill, take Jeff back. You'll well, like Jeff back. And then he ended up circling around and playing bass until they could get Chris Dreja up to speed on bass. And then he jumped into guitar. Well, there's and a then whole, Jeff back left the tour like crazy. There. Wait a there was one point where Dreja was back and they were both Jimmy 
and Jeff were in the band before Jeff left. Can you imagine seeing the Yardbirds with Beck and Paige on stage together? I can't even imagine. There has to be footage of that in somebody's... Somebody's got Somebody's got footage of that somewhere in their basement or in their grandparents' old box or chest in the 60s. I guarantee you there is footage of that somewhere. We have to find it. Yeah, Jimmy initially said, no, I'm, I'm good with what I'm doing. He was working a lot as a session guy. He yeah. was in demand, played on uh, uncredited in a lot of cases on records Kinks. and the Kinks and the Who. Stones, too. Uh, he played with everybody that needed a guy to do something. Yeah. He could do anything. I mean, yeah. even all through his whole career, he was recognized as being a special talent. So Beck leaves, and he's off to do Beck's Bolero and his uh, the, the Jeff Beck group where he would hook up with Ron, Ron Stewart and Ron Wood. And you know, there's, there's more of that circle of friends there. Branch is getting thicker and, and bigger. And, and so Paige comes in, right? And um, he rode the horse as long as it was there. And then in 1968, as we know, the Yardbirds officially folded. Ralph and Cardi went off to start Renaissance. Paul Samuel Smith was already gone. Chris Derasia was there. But he wasn't feeling it. So there were these dates in Scandinavia and Europe had to be fulfilled by the Yardbirds. Mm-hmm. And Paige had the, the reins. He had the name and a little bit of the responsibility, I guess, to fulfill those. He already knew John Paul Jones. They were working in sessions together. Right. They had done a lot of work together over the years. These guys all Think about this! Try to put your head around the fact that all these guys hung together and just played together in studios and all these songs that we grew up listening to. I know. And they're, they're, and Hurdy Gurdy Man was another one that uh, Paige was on, right? Uh, from Donovan, yep. yeah. So he hooks up with uh, Plant. Who had just gotten kicked out of his band for being not a good lead singer. Yeah, he was terrible. Oh, God, he sucked. That guy? God, he was unsexy, Thank too. Thank God he didn't know any great drummers from Birmingham to bring with him, right? That hit like hammers oh, or hit like God. tanks. <laughs> and, and, we'll, and, we'll get, and so, you know, that's how that's how the Yardbirds formed. There's a, we'll, we'll do other episodes more about Led Zeppelin and that transformation from the Yardbirds. But, uh, and that's how Led Zeppelin fell out of the Yardbirds family tree, which is well known. Some of the other things we're talking about here, maybe not so much. Let's talk about Clapton for a minute. Here's a guitar god. And I don't want to get too deep into everything because I think if we do, we'll get bogged down in it. We have an interview guest later. Yes, we do. We'll tell you about that shortly. So Clapton, right, He, he he's a guest in Blues Incorporated, and then he's in the Yardbirds. Then he's in Cream and Blind Faith. He does Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. He tries to disappear, right, completely disappear. But he's so hot. Then plays with the Plastic Ono band. Now I know it was that high profile. Part, yeah, no, that part I forgot. I read that and I was like, I did not realize. With Klaus Bormann on yeah. bass. Yeah. So spring nineteen seventy, there Just he is helping his friend George, trying to be invisible. Then he gets together and starts working on. Uh, after he read about Layla and the uh, the stories of Layla and the and the whole Sultan and all that, he puts together this this group and this record. And again, trying to be invisible. There were I think there were buttons that said Derek is Eric. <laughs> it was like it was like the reveal. That was a reveal in nineteen seventy. That was the kiss reveal of seventy. <laughs> And that's also where he hooked up with Bobby Whitlock and Carl Radle and all those guys. They were the backbone of the dominoes. And, and you know, that was intended to be an ongoing project. And they get Dwayne Allman in. It's kind of, yeah. hey, come on in. They were, they were working down there by him. Come on in and fiddle around. Some of the most amazing weaving guitar sounds you're ever going to hear on a record or on that record from Derek and the Dominoes. And then Clapton went solo. Yes. God went solo. 
and, and since then, it's been, what, almost 50 years now. Sadly, tiring. he said he has a hard time playing, and it breaks my heart. One of my favorites of all time. Breaks my heart to think that he can't really play the guitar. And, of course, he can't play the guitar at the level that God can play it. And some of the shows I've seen that man play, I thank every day to whatever power is there up there that made it happen. Me and my pal Terry White went to New York. I got to see Cream at Madison Square Garden. Oh, my God. It, there was an I've elevated to the ceiling at the Garden. But I've seen Eric play so many times. I've seen him be there as the front man and center and see the, the spotlight to Derek Trucks because he knew how good that boy is. His story of hearing uh, Dwayne Allman play for the first time on Hey Jude was great. I was reading an article about Eric Clapton, and he heard uh, Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude, which Dwayne Allman played guitar on, and he pulled over, called his label, and was like, who the fuck's playing guitar on that? And that's how <laughs> he found out it was Dwayne Allman. And he called Yaz's label guy and said, yo, who is playing that guitar? And boom. He loved Dwayne Allman. Dwayne Allman played guitar like nobody's business. He played with Wilson Pickett and all those great, amazing stacks recording artists of the South. And there are a lot of people who claim that he's the founder of Southern, or birther of Southern Southern rock. It's hard to argue the point. It really is because... I don't know if I can argue that. Before the Allman Brothers, there were the Allman Joys, and uh, they were around doing it when nobody was doing it. Lest we forget. And this is all part of the Yardbirds family tree. Yes, it is. The Derek and the Dominoes phenomena falls out of the Yardbirds family tree. I hope you're getting all that. Oh, yeah. One of the crazy things that I almost forgot is... Jim Gordon was a member of the Dominoes. That's a whole other story we can talk about. We should talk about weird rock and roll things like accidents, tragedies, and murders sometimes. Yeah, and that definitely. We'll talk more about Jim Gordon. One of the things about that Derek and the Dominoes record was the inclusion of Little Wing, which was cut as a tribute to Hendrix, who had died recently when they were doing the sessions. Yeah. And it wouldn't be too long after that when Dwayne would be gone, too. So sad stuff there as part of Clapton's life. And then he went solo. And um, yeah, he seems to be doing okay. He's the only, what, four-time, four-way member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Beck went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Yardbirds in 92 and solo in 09. You know, he, he's, he had fits and starts when he first started out. Of course, Beck's Bolero became like his go-to. Look at who he's tied to. Bowie, T-Rex, Donovan, Mick Ronson, Crystal Gale, the Everly Brothers. And the, are... It's the things that he did, you know, like doing People Get Ready with Rod Stewart. You know, mm-hmm. just, you know, it was just he added so much to that record that made it a hit. You know, all I'm saying is that he's done so many different things. He went through the whole Jeff Beck group in the Bolero era there initially, and then he kind of morphed into this rock fusion guy with, you know, records um, down the line. In the 70s, he put together albums like Blow by Blow and Wired. I remember Wired. And he played, uh, you know, you know, like, when Rough and Ready, he had people like Cozy Powell, who would later be in Rainbow and play with Whitesnake and Emerson Lake and Powell and Gary Moore and Sabbath and tons of people. So he worked with great people everywhere he went no matter what his phase of his his career was. He worked with Rod and Woody and all those guys, great players back in the, in the Jeff Beck group. Then he goes on, he's working with guys like that. He was in Beck Bogart in a piece. Carmen's got a humongous... <laughs> that dude's all over the rock and roll family tree. I don't think people realize how all over he is. It's almost the more a I different concept. It. It's like, instead of a family tree, because you can't... Carmine's part of everything. It, it's like kind of like a, a putting a, paint in the middle of a, a, a plate of water and just watching 
watching it spread out. We should do an episode on, on him, and I think we could probably get him to come on. Too. I bet we could. I, I bet, bet we could. could. And it would be fun to have him tell stories that he's never shared with us about recording with some of these musicians. So then, uh, like I mentioned, Beck goes into the 70s, and he does Blow by Blow, which is still one of my favorite records of the 70s. And he starts working with people like Phil Chen. And he had Stevie Wonder on there. He started working with Jan Hammer, and he worked with him a lot through the years. I remember the Jan Hammer stuff. On Wired. Yeah. You know, and uh, narrative Michael Walden, and uh, George Martin was involved as his producer on those really fine records. Max Middleton became one of his go-to keyboard players, you know, and he continues to be a vital guy, and he looks so damn good for his age. And then you get Jimmy Page, who's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, of course, as a member of the Yardbirds, and of course, as a member of Led Zeppelin. Why isn't he in solo? yet it doesn't um, make sense no or do you I, think it's just that he hasn't even tried to be nominated as solo he hasn't and uh, the member of zeppelin who has the best case for that might be plant because he did so many fine solo records in the 80s That's especially true. 80s and, and the 80s. honey drippers and all that stuff sure but absolutely you know, the body of work has to be separate from your main thing i think to get there mm-hmm. you know we talked about all the stuff with page and all the sessions he did and you know and he saved the Yardbirds' name from disappearing completely and created Led Zeppelin. He also worked with Paul Rogers in The Firm. Oh, what a great band. One of those little things he tried to not do. And, and um, Bad Company was the first band signed to Swan Song Label. I want to do a Led Zeppelin family tree where we, we have talk to. about all of that. We but have to. Here's one that, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in 1981, Page got together with Chris Squire from Yes and Alan White from Yes, and they uh, worked on a project called XYZ, ex-members of Yes and Zeppelin. And they rehearsed, and uh, they started to work on it, and they had some songs, and they started to get momentum, and then they stopped because the feeling was they wanted, I think they wanted Plant then to come in and do the vocals, and Plant said, it's too soon after Bonham. And... Uh, and it got shelved. And, and recently, Alan White's been asking for them to make the record. He wants to make it before it's too late. I think that's pretty cool. I think that would be really fun to hear. That's some sick talent right there. And then they teamed up again, Percy and Jimmy, uh, on uh, the Plant and Page stuff. You know, they did the Unplugged. They did the, um, you know, Walking into Clarksdale. And they, they worked together uh, for a while there. And then Jimmy did the tour with the Black Crows, which I was happy that I got to see. Uh, I did not get to see that. I was in a transition period where I wasn't able to see it. I think I was traveling. I was in Carolina. I had two small children, and uh, we were going. We were Page fans, and we were Black Crows fans. And did you take the kids? Yeah, we uh... did. My w- one didn't care. They were having a good time. My daughter was having a good time. My son couldn't wait to leave. What is this noise? And he likes Dream Theater. He loves rock. He just loves rock. <laughs> if I, he may not remember that. I'm, I'll just say that. But uh, and so you look at what you know these three guys meant to world post Yardbirds. You got to look at the big tree, the big picture, and you see all these people who were attached to the Yardbirds. You know how the Stones and and a lot of the other uh, bands that we're, we've been talking about, Mahavishnu Orchestra is That's, part of the Yardbirds family tree. I know it's crazy. To and wrap most people around. don't never even heard of the Grand Bond Orchestra. Organization. I actually have one of their records. That's how twisted I am. <laughs> All I say is that when you look at it round for round, pound for pound, the Yardbirds family tree is one of the cornerstones of rock and roll. There's no doubt about it. So let's bring in Jim McCarty, drummer of the Yardbirds. How are you, man? Um, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We're doing really well, thank you. We appreciate you taking the time to give us a call and chat about the Yardbirds. <laughs> 
why not? It's an impressive family tree that you have built from what you did back in the 60s, and to be able to keep it going over 50 years later is exceptional. <laughs> hey, Jim, tell us about the uh, current lineup uh, of the Yardbirds that you've got out on the road. I understand they're all American guys. They're all American guys. I've had most of them since 2015. Very good players. They're sort of older guys because I had a younger band at one time. Uh-huh. They're older guys. They've lived the music and they've played the songs in their first bands and grown up with the music and they, they've really got a great connection to it. There's a bass player called Kenny Aronson who's played with loads of bands, New York Dolls and Bob Dylan and loads of loads of other people and the singer is a guy called John Iden who uh, is the younger member of the band and he's he was on the Birdland album that came out in 2003 right there's a guy called Mike Scavone who also sings but he plays harmonica mainly uh, and he's in a New Jersey band called the Doughboys and the guitar player is a new on this tour he's uh, Godfrey Townsend and he's played with lots of bands too and he's a very nice guy very good player and um, that's the lineup they're all American apart from me why American musicians versus British musicians for the Yardbirds uh, well I had I had I had an English band you know we've been English for a long time and then it sort of got to be more convenient getting visas and things like that and getting the airfares over and it was always a bit uh, difficult to find the right lineup you know after a while in England and there's, there's so many great American musicians that know the yard but know the arbors back the front you know so i thought i'd try it and and uh i think it works it's got it's got a great spirit to it uh, a great energy we're talking with jim mccarty from the yardbirds the uh, sole original member that's on tour with them these days here on the imbalance history of rock and roll hey jim i don't know if you realize but we are talking on the 22nd of march keith ralph's birthday yes i knew i knew that yeah quite a day uh Something. How old he would be now? Seventy-six. Uh, Seventy-six. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's right. Yeah, seventy-six. Uh, Pitchy is not going. He'd probably be, you know, he'd probably be still in the band. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a fiery man right from the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah he was. He's right from the beginning. Yeah, and uh, very tragic. He died when he was about thirty-three, which is yeah. uh, you know very young. But you guys, what you guys did with the Yardbirds. It was amazing from the beginning, the way you guys struck a spark and and even through the changes that you guys went through, just kept kicking out amazing rock and roll. A lot of people don't know about Anthony Topham, who was the guitar player before Clapton. Sounds like he's had a great life. He was a a designer, I understand, and has played a little bit uh, with you over the years. Yes, he has. He's come come back into the group, and then he he went out again. He's a great artist, a great, you know, real character, and he still plays a bit. But uh, it it was the art part of it where where he had to leave because he was younger than the rest of us, and he he was always going to be a great artist, and, you know, his parents, really put pressure on him to leave the band and carry on with his art studies so so he had to leave and we got Clapton. Yes and um, aren't we lucky though I mean Top had a great life and we got Eric Clapton. Yes we did. Yeah. <laughs> hey um, 
one of our, our uh, listeners uh, to the Imbalance History Podcast, Mike Rose from Doylestown, PA, has a question. He said, could you give us some insights into the different influences of Clapton, Beck, and Page and the impact of their different style as well as their different personalities on the Yardbirds? Sure, yeah, I, I can do that. Of course, we, we all started in the same area. We were in southwest London, and we basically came from two schools. Paul Samuel Smith, the bass player, and I were at the uh, grammar school, which is, uh, you know, your high school. And the rest of the guys were at Kingston Art School. So that that was easy. That's how we, we sort of knew each other from local pubs and things. Right. But uh, Eric, well, Eric was the same as Top. You know, they were, they, they were great blues purists and um, loved the blues. Uh, and Eric was very very enthusiastic about you know playing it and was very dedicated he, he'd be playing you know if he stayed in your house he'd, he'd get up in the morning and he'd be playing a guitar solo before breakfast you know he'd be so keen <laughs> that's cool uh, uh, and he loved fashion he was very interested in how he looked he went to a sort of ivy league thing at one time where uh, you know the steve mcqueen looked and uh that look was very popular in England at that time, and it's to do with the US and um, particularly people like Steve McQueen and Marlon Brando. And then Jeff had a much wider style. He had a huge variety of playing, and he liked different music, not just blues. He liked rockabilly, and he liked jazz, and uh, he liked sort of electronic stuff, sort of Les Paul stuff that was going on. And um, so he was much wider, and, he, and of course it, we benefited because he all those sounds into the sound of the band all the fuzz box and the and the tone benders and all the uh, mm -hmm. feedback and everything uh and timmy page was a much more sort of disciplined guy because he was used to playing in the studio on studio records and he played with people like backrack and donovan and dean pitney and all these people that were recording in london at the time and so he was used to playing really what people wanted and he was very when he joined us he was sort of very businesslike very thoughtful about it worked it all out and uh, worked all the all the solos out you know i don't know what happened afterwards which we went a bit crazy in zeppelin maybe but with <laughs> us, he, you know he, with us he was very um you know very perfectionist very uh, you know very careful about what he played we're talking with jim mccarty from the yardbirds when I was reading to get ready to talk to you, I read somewhere that there was a period of time, I don't know how many shows or whatever it was, where both Beck and Paige were playing guitar together on stage with the band? Yes, that's right. Not not long, uh, probably only a few months. I don't know how many months, but a few months. And uh, it was, you know, very hit, hit or miss. It was either a great show or, mm. or mainly a bit of a coffin league, you know, a bit overdone, really. Really? Um, but sometimes it sometimes it worked really well. It's a, it's a pity you didn't have a modern PA because what would have helped, you know, the old PAs weren't so good and there was a that's true. You know, and also that there was a lot of competition going on between them. Uh, so they would compete, but it, it it also sounds like there was too much guitar for the PA system. Or too well, many, that's or right. Or too many yeah. guitarists. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Keith Ralph, you know, happy birthday to him. Um, he struggled with his voice and trying to get heard, you know, over those two really loud guitars. But now and then it, it did work. Now and then it was uh, fantastic. It was a great I'll bet gig. it was amazing when it did. <laughs> it really did hit the roof. <laughs>
Now, you can imagine. Is there video footage and audio of any of these shows that you guys did with Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck together? Because we've been scouring and we really haven't seen much. No, I haven't seen anything, I don't think. Wow. Um, there were just the two a track recorded uh, happening 10 years time ago and Psycho Daisies, uh, they were just in the studio. But there's no, no nothing live, which is a shame. That would be really worthwhile, wouldn't it? Hey, Jim, we're talking about the Yardbirds family tree on this episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And um, there's some interesting things. First off, I want to ask you, after Paul leaves the band, he goes off to be a producer. And when you and Keith put your heads together, you guys helped to form the first lineup of Renaissance. And Paul ended yes. up producing the record, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did. We suddenly came came back in. I think we bumped into him somewhere or other. It was one of those sort of things where you right. bumped into your mates in the pub. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we were all we were all around Richmond area. We all lived around that area, and we could we bumped into each other quite a lot. Ah, and, the good uh, things that happen for people meeting in pub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, and he came back in, and yeah, he did a great production, and from that production of Renaissance. He was noticed by Chris Blackwell and Chris Blackwell at Ireland Records, and mm-hmm. um, Chris asked him to, to produce Cat Stevens. So he went on to produce, uh, I don't know, half a dozen Cat yeah. Stevens yeah, albums. Some pretty incredible albums from Cat Stevens. Mm. So you and see. Like big, big but, but you see now, Cat St- because of that and Paul's involvement, direct involvement there. You're bringing in, you know, the groups that he that he produced into onto the family tree, you know, and it it, yes. it, it is amazing how many different places it goes. Obviously, you've got your, you, you know, what the Yardbirds did and continue to do, uh, what Clapton did, what Beck did, what Page has done, but you also have all these other connections that go back to uh, D- Cyril Davies and Alexis Corner and Blues Incorporated and and Graham Bond organization, yep. John. Blues Breakers. But the thing that surprised yeah. me the most, Jim, was that John McLaughlin is part of the Yardbirds family tree. Oh, right. Yeah, he would be, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how he is. I'd have to look at it. No, he was uh, Graham Bond's uh, guitar player when he first formed the Graham Bond organization. Oh, right. That's right. That's and that true. all comes back to Blues Incorporated and the Nights in the Clubs with uh, Davies and Corner, you know? Yeah. That's right. And in fact, playing with Cyril Davis was one of our first ever Yardbirds gigs. I know. It was, it, it's so funny. They're getting together and doing stuff like that and having guys stop by because it was such a cool scene. You know, they end up coming in and, and, and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and guys like that coming to see what's going on at all. It must have been such a yeah, happening yeah. thing to be in the middle of. And and the Rolling Stones used yeah. to play before us yeah. at the Core Daddy Club. Um, That's before, just crazy. Before we went on. And, um, you know, one night the Beatles turned up to see them. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? And did you play with, like, the Kinks or the Who at that time period as well, even though maybe their styles, like the Who style, was a little different? Did you play with any of those yeah. bands? Oh, yes. We did a whole tour with the Kinks. <laughs> and, and you guys didn't uh, get arrested? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think uh, I think Mick Avery nearly got arrested. It was that one where he uh, he smashed Dave over the head with his cymbal. Oh. You got to see so much cool oh, shit, yeah. Jim. I'm telling you, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is. 
You got to write a book if you if you haven't got one already in the works, man. I have got one. You got to promote it. It's called Nobody Told Me. <laughs> well, it nobody told me you had year. a book. <laughs> yeah, nobody told us yeah. you had a book. I actually missed that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Nobody told me it's it's the book, and it came out last year, and it's been you know very popular with us with the fans. Good. We will definitely check it out as we are always learning about the rock and roll family tree. I mean, just researching the Yardbirds and what you have done with your band as well as what has happened from all of the members of your band and what you all have gone to do and what has branched off of you is pretty incredible. You guys are truly one of the anchors of the rock and roll music. A cornerstone. And yes. we're, we're, we're doing family trees as we continue to do this podcast, Jim. But we decided right. that the Yardbirds was so important that it had to be the first family tree. And now we've got like five or ten family trees that we need to continue to, to trace yeah. out because of this conversation. And we thank you so much uh, for keeping the Yardbirds <laughs> right. alive. Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds, we can't thank you enough for coming to see us and talk with us here. My hey, pleasure. Thank hey, you very much. Thank, thank you very you. much. Take care, Jim. Wow. Jim McCarty from the Yardbirds, oh. our first guest. I forgot to mention that to Jim when he was on the phone with us. Yeah, he's our first guest. Yeah. And it just kind of happened randomly. What um, an amazing thing. we got to get the um, a link to his uh, book, too, and make sure we put that on our website. We will put it on our website in the podcast. com, where you can find us at any time. Um, we thank you for tuning in to the podcast. We thank you for finding us. Thanks for downloading and taking the time. Don't forget, we have a Facebook page if you're not already on it. Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Find it, like it, love it, live it. Oh, and imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. That is our email address. You can Good find us on... Good way to be in touch. Yep. And you can also find us on Google Play, whatever the Google Play podcast is. Check us on iTunes as well. All right. Thanks again to Rick DeFonzo for providing our intro and exit music. This is a little Tunisia from his album Instrumental. Emphasis on the mental. What a great episode. We thank you for hanging in there. We want to thank Jim McCarty and everybody who helped set that up uh, for him to be on as our first guest here on the podcast. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's a production of Dark Doc Media. I'm the Doc, Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time on The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 